This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome to the show, folks. If you have a question or a comment, please email it to radio at rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com. I never cease to be amazed at the ridiculous things that people with capital letters after their names in the mental health professions say. In February of 2016, just a few weeks back, actress Charlize Theron caused a media stir when she wrestled her adopted four-year-old son Jackson to the ground, subduing him, when he began throwing a public tantrum. For this, Theron was labeled a monster mom and generally raked over the coals of parenting correctness by the media. Before commenting on the incident in question, I have to mention that when this event occurred, Miss Throne wasn't and never had been married. She adopted Jackson and another child as a single parent, which is a fad among rich Hollywood actresses. The law says Throne has the right to do so, Nevertheless, the research is clear on the subject. To wit, children raised in essentially male-less homes are at significant risk for all manner of social and emotional difficulties, and that is more true for male than female children. But these high-profile actresses aren't really thinking about the best interests of their kids, these adopted kids, nor... Are they at all interested in research? They're thinking only of themselves. They want kids, but they don't want men. They would argue they have a right to do whatever they want to do. And that's true, but narcissism by any other name is still narcissism. When a photograph of Miss Theron taking her screaming, struggling four-year-old, Jackson, to the ground went viral... The media went for comment to one Dr. Gilda Carl. Yes, yes, yes. That explains why Dr. Carl is Hollywood's go-to relationship expert. She espouses a parenting philosophy that is the perfect fit for the far-left inclinations of that community. Dr. Carl believes in socialist parenting, also known as egalitarian parenting, also known as the same old, same old dysfunctional parenting that the mental health community has been promoting since 1965. Egalitarian parenting proposes that the parent-child relationship is a relationship between equals, not theoretical equals, literal equals. As such, parents are obligated to explain themselves to their children, persuade rather than dictate, and negotiate differences of opinion. In the attempt to reach what psychologist Tom Gordon, the author of Parent Effectiveness Training, one of the best-selling parenting books of the 1970s, 
and other egalitarian parenting propagandists described as a win-win outcome. Parent wins, child wins. And everybody's happier in parenting utopia. It is because of egalitarian parenting propaganda that so many parents today, when they give instructions or convey decisions to their children, grab their thighs and do a deep knee bend, thus, quote, getting down to their children's level, end quote. It is because of egalitarian parenting propaganda that so many parents today, the majority in my experienced estimation, are in a state of near constant doubt concerning the legitimacy of their authority. The egalitarian parenting does not answer why or why not from the child. And remember, those are not questions. They are challenges to parent authority with because I said so. Those four words belong to the language of the pre-enlightened parent. They went out with model trains and the twist. The egalitarian parent gives reasons and explanations in the attempt to persuade her child to, quote, cooperate, end quote, as opposed to obey. The egalitarian parent does not punish because punishment affirms what egalitarian parenting strives to deny, that parents are not children's equals. Rather, they are their children's superiors. Egalitarian parenting is all about being your child's friend, even best friend, Friends don't punish one another, of course, therefore egalitarian parents do not punish their children. As relationship expert Dr. Carl advises, when children misbehave, parents should try to understand why the misbehavior occurred. Supposedly, a proper reading of the psychological dynamics of a misbehavior leads to a proper parental response. Notice that the student in that parenting equation is the parent, not the child. According to egalitarian parenting, a parent's primary responsibility is not teaching proper social behavior to the inherently narcissistic child. Rather, it is properly interpreting and responding to outbursts of what scripture calls the foolishness or folly, depending on translation, that is bound in the heart of the child. That, according to Proverbs 22.15, God's Word. This parent-child role reversal stems from the advice of Gordon and other post-1960s parenting pundits. Gordon maintained that children knew how they should be raised. According to him, children came into the world possessing of an inarticulate intuition, akin to a bad parenting alarm that was tripped whenever parents did wrong things. A child's emotional responses should guide parent behavior, Gordon said. A screaming, struggling four-year-old throwing a tantrum in a public place is only trying in the only way he knows how to tell his mother, Charlize Theron, in this case, that she's making a terrible mistake. Therefore, Miss Theron, or the parent in question, should adjust her slash their behavior accordingly. The reader may respond to the previous paragraph by snorting something like, well, that's completely ridiculous, and indeed it is. But that parenting meme 
children know intuitively whether or not their parents are acting properly became deeply embedded in America's parenting culture in the late 60s and early 70s. Indeed, it is ridiculous. More than that, it's destructive. Nonetheless, it influences the behavior of today's parents more than many of them are willing to admit. When I'm explaining the power of this particular egalitarian parenting meme to an audience of parents, I will engage them in a two-part exercise. First, I ask them to raise their hands if they agree that the idea that a young child knows intuitively whether his parents are acting rightly or wrongly is absurd. Everyone raises their hand. Second, I ask for a show of hands from people who see themselves in the following statement, which goes like this. When you convey a decision to one of your kids and he, she reacts with great display of emotion, you often feel an upsurge of anxiety and self-doubt and often interpret the child's emotional outburst as indication that maybe, just maybe, you have made the wrong decision. In a typical audience, around two-thirds of those in attendance raise their hands. See how powerful that parenting meme is, I then ask? You think it's ridiculous, absurd, and yet for more than half of you, it exerts a fairly strong to very strong influence on your parenting behavior. The pre-1960s parent was not influenced by that or any of the other memes that came out of the psychological parenting revolution of the 60s and early 70s, including... Children deserve reasons. The more attention a child gets, the better. Punishment lowers self-esteem. Children should have lots of choices, and so on. The pre-1960s parent was simply in touch with biblical principle and common sense. But getting back to Charlie's throne, despite my disapproval of her single-parent-by-choice lifestyle, I admire what she did when her four-year-old threw a public tantrum. Let's get something to somethings actually straight. First, tantrums, all tantrums, are acts of defiance of and rebellion against parent authority. Second, tantrums are examples of the self-serving, sociopathic, antisocial behavior to which a child is inclined due to his or her sinful nature. And for the edification of readers who recoil at the notion that small children are sociopaths in the making, here's a comment. By definition, sociopaths do not care how their behavior affects other people. Young children do not care how their behavior affects other people. Therefore, young children are sociopaths in the making. It is, in fact, a parent's primary responsibility to transform the antisocial toddler into a pro-social human being who displays three fundamental characteristics. One, he looks up to you. That's called respect. Two, he follows your lead. That's called obedience. Three, he subscribes to your values. That's called loyalty. Respect obedience, and loyalty. That's what parenting is all about. For that reason, children require two qualities from their parents and other significant adults in their lives. 
They require unconditional love. First of all, think about it. If love for children was conditional, children would not be very deserving of love at all. That especially applies to the early years when love is most vital to the child's sense of well-being. Unconditional love puts a solid platform of security under a child's feet. When he's bad and his parents show disappointment and even punish him for his bad behavior, he can still be confident of their love. His behavior is inconstant. Their love is constant. And secondly, children need unequivocal leadership, also known as authority and discipline. And we'll pick up right there when we get back. back to the show, folks. Glad you stayed with us. Prior to the break, I was talking about the two qualities children need most from their parents and the other significant adults in their lives. Quality number one, unconditional love. Quality number two, unequivocal leadership. This second L word, the Bible tells us, is actually an expression of love. See Proverbs 13.24, where it says clearly, The parent who loves his child disciplines his child diligently. For just as God loves us and disciplines us, the Bible tells us, so parents who love their children also discipline them. Of necessity, parent discipline, when it is necessary, must make a child feel bad. It must discomfort him. It must cause him to feel guilt and motivate him to atone, repent, for whatever effect his misbehavior had on other people. Make no mistake, if discipline does not feel bad at the time, Paul's words, then it will not be corrective. Correction that does not make a child feel guilt and restorative obligation is absolutely worthless. Those two attributes, unconditional love, unequivocal leadership, kept in a state of balance are essential to transforming the little sociopath, the antisocial but cute-as-a-button toddler into a pro-social human being, who considers how his behavior affects other people before he behaves. In consideration of the above, my hat comes off to Ms. Charlize Theron, whom I talked about in the last segment. She was uh, castigated as a monster mom for subduing her four-year-old child in a parking lot when he threw a wild rage over something she wanted him to do. In that tumultuous moment during her child's defiant fit, Miss Therone realized she had to demonstrate to him that she was the decider, the authority figure, the big person, the final word on the subject, not him. I regard Hollywood celebrities as a bunch of self-important clowns in general, but on the basis of that one very sensible and necessary parenting act, 
under pressure, I'm willing to cut Miss Therone some slack. Dr. Gilda Carl, however, Hollywood's relationship expert to the stars, deserves no slack. It figures that Hollywood culture would embrace a relationship expert who has no common sense, who does nothing but spout tired, worn-out, and tiresome pseudo-therapeutic talking points to wit. Quote, it's clear that Charlize is dictating, notice the use of her first word, like uh, first name, like she's on a daily, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> close relationship with her. It's clear that Charlize is dictating Instead of telling him she should be selling him. My concern, said Dr. Carl, is for parents to ask the child why after a tantrum is over. End quote. Summary, Ms. Therone, Charlize to Dr. Carl, isn't paying, playing by the new left-wing socialist egalitarian pseudo-scientific parenting rules. She needs a good verbal spanking, maybe even some counseling. Carl is obviously disturbed by the fact that Sharon took immediate control of her child when the tantrum began. Photographs of the incident, along with first-person accounts, confirm that when Jackson, the four-year-old, began his fit, Theron did not soothe, console, counsel, or try to persuade with promise of reward. She simply took over. Score. Charlie's Theron won. Dr. Carl, zero. One aspect of the speech that uh, people use who don't know what they're talking about is the use of cutesy alliteration. As in Dr. Gilda Carl's statement to the effect, of instead of telling him she should be selling him. In other words, instead of Charlie's throne telling her child what to do, she should be selling her child on what to do during a tantrum. It's significant to note, by the way, that Gilda Carl on her website, I could find no indication that she has children. Anyway, wrong again. Authority is not about persuasion. It's about communicating expectations unequivocally. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples whom he is preparing for leadership in his absence to speak with his authority. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, Speak clearly and confidently. That defines what I call leadership speech, a manner of communicating that reflects confidence in the legitimacy of one's authority. In this case, the legitimate authority of a responsible parent over a child. How legitimate is a parent's authority over a child? Uh, well, it's this legitimate God assigned you authority over his children. You, as a parent, act as God's proxy. That is how legitimate your authority is. I hope there will be no more questions on that issue.
Leadership speech is calm, composed, and straight to the point. If you want a child to pick up his toys, you simply say, it's time for you to pick up your toys. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. You don't squat down, get down to your child's level, thus lowering your own stature, assuming a posture that looks like you're pleading with the child, one movement away from being down on your knees in front of the king, and say, honey, my girlfriend is coming over, and I'd really like to serve her coffee and pastries in this room, and will you help mommy out by picking up these toys and moving them somewhere else, okay? Now, that is not an instruction. That is a suggestion, ladies and gentlemen. And unfortunately, that is the way. That describes how most American parents, and I dare I say so, most mothers... Because they are the victims of psychological parenting propaganda, much more so than their husbands. Why? Because they are the folks who are reading. It is women who are reading this stuff. It is women who are incorporating this stuff into their heads and their thinking. It is women whose authority is being disabled by this psychological parenting propaganda. Anyway, leadership speech is calm, composed, straight to the point. That requires the use of the fewest words possible. No one recorded what Charlize Theron said to her four-year-old son, Jackson, but one thing is certain. She made it absolutely clear to him that he had no choice but to do what she was telling him to do. And indeed, the tantrum stopped. She exercised her legitimate authority, and appropriately so. Dr. Gilda Carl obviously knows nothing about children. If she did, she would know what we are told in Proverbs 13.24, that a parent who loves his child disciplines him diligently. So, score, Charlize Theron 2, Dr. Gilda Carl Zero. You know, when I came out of graduate school in 1971, I was on fire for psychology. I truly believed the truth of a famous quote from humanistic psychologist Abraham Maslow, to wit, quote, the world will either be saved by the psychologists or it will not be saved at all, end quote. As a young psychologist, I felt I was on a messianic mission of sorts. Presumably, I'd been trained to heal people's minds by talking to them. Gradually, however, disillusionment began to set in. The first thing I noticed was that psychologists were, as a group, some of the most narcissistic, intellectually arrogant people I'd ever met. They seemed convinced that the press about them was true, that they could talk to people and discover things about them that those people didn't know about themselves. Furthermore, they appeared to believe that they were never wrong about anything. The next thing I noticed was that research meant nothing unless it confirmed what a psychologist already believed. In 1979, while still working in a community mental health setting in Charlotte, North Carolina, I wrote a newspaper column in which I said that recent research into spanking was finding the children who were spanked occasionally by loving parents, actually scored higher on measures of well-being than children whose parents didn't believe in spanking. 
The day after the column appeared in the local paper, I was summoned to a meeting with my supervisor, who was livid. He accused me of giving people permission to abuse their children. When I pointed out that researchers were also finding that parents who never spanked were more likely to explode in abusive rages toward their kids than parents who occasionally spanked, he exploded in an abusive rage. And that, folks, was the beginning of my transformation from psychologist into anti-psychologist. I am licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. I guarantee you they regret the day they ever gave me a license. And that's the way I want it. I'm John Roseman, and this has been another Because I Said So. (laughs) 